Our text this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And I invite you to follow along on the screens or in your Bibles that you brought with us. And we're going to read it first from the New Revised Standard Version, and then also after that, the message paraphrase. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience as an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And from the message, I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were violence and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me, all because of Jesus. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one, of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off, evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I disclosed on Facebook a few days ago that I was going to share one of my greatest failures in youth ministry in my 22 years here. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many who are present or tuning online simply because of that promise. But I know there's a few of you. And some of you may hear what I share and say, Mel, no, that's not your biggest failure. I know better stories. After almost 23 years together, there's hardly any secrets anymore. I've made a lot of mistakes over the years. Like the time on fall retreat many years ago when I and some of the other youth workers got in the church van and drove it through the fields in the night without headlights in a game of hide-and-seek with the youth. Go big or go home, that's what I say. And I'm going to admit, it was really funny to see those youth pop up like little prairie dogs as they heard the van coming and we flipped the lights on at the last moment. Funny, but I do not recommend ever doing that. 
or the time I planned this game called Tape Head. And so we were in the gym with a bunch of youth, and I got some volunteers to put masking tape around the outside of their heads, sticky side out, of course, and then to dive headfirst into a tarp and see how many things they could get to stick to the tape. And the person who got the most won the points for their team. And I still remember um, spending several minutes in the bathroom afterwards with a very young Cody hybrider trying to take the tape off of his tender hair and head, both of us in tears. I did not use my head when planning that game. Well, some of those stories, like those two, we can laugh about. No one was seriously hurt or harmed. But the one I want to share today is one that's not funny at all to me. It's actually very painful for me because I hurt some people that I loved. It was Graduate Sunday here many years ago. And on Graduate Sunday at First Baptist, we do a, a video tribute to our graduates. We have an insert. We give them a gift. It's a grand day with friends and family coming. And that was also one of the first times I was going to preach here at First Baptist. So knowing I had a lot on my plate and in my mind, I enlisted some help with the video, and I proofed it and checked it, and we were ready to go for Sunday. And that morning went great. The, the video was well-received. We had lots of friends and family. The sermon was fine. And I was really a happy camper at the end of the service until the parents of one of my graduates came up to me and said, with this look of hurt on their face, why was our child not in the video? I was confused because I remembered them sending pictures in, but I had no answer for them. You see, in all the video and the proofing of the video, and even in the service with that graduate sitting not far from me, I completely missed that they were not included, that we had left them out of their senior video. Now friends, let me tell you, one of my core values is inclusion. It matters deeply to me that people feel like they matter and that they are seen. And so to realize that I had left out and excluded someone who already struggled with feeling seen, it gutted me. I felt awful. And there was nothing that I could do to correct this. You can't redo Graduate Sunday and take it back. The moment was gone, and I had failed them deeply. You can guarantee that from now on, I check and triple check the inserts and the videos for that Sunday. But this wasn't the greatest lesson from this experience. You see, a week after that Sunday was the graduates' graduation party at their home the family home, and I had already RSVP'd to go. And so for a week, I stressed over whether to go or not. Like, would they want me there? Would I be welcomed, or would it be like pouring salt into the wound? Would the extended family know what I'd done and slam the door in my face, rightfully so? And thankfully, I had the wisdom to realize it would probably be worse not to go. And so I humbled myself, and I went. And after sitting in my car for several minutes, I went to the door, expecting and deserving a cold reception. But that is not what I received. I was welcomed warmly. I was fed. I was introduced not as the one who had hurt them, 
but as friend and pastor. And after I left, I went to my car in tears. And I remember the voice of God saying, Melissa, that was mercy. That was mercy. I knew about mercy. I could define mercy for you. The unmerited kindness or compassion where penalty is due. I would have told you that God was merciful to me. But now I understood it because I had experienced the depths of it. My friend and, and filmmaker, David Leo Schultz, describes the love of God this way. He says, imagine that you are standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, the spacious, beautiful Grand Canyon, and someone asks you, how deep is the Grand Canyon? And you say, well, I saw it on a sign as I came in. I know it's one mile deep, 277 miles long, and 18 miles wide. It's very impressive. And then that man comes over to you and he shoves you into the Grand Canyon. Yeah, my friend is a bit dramatic, but his analogy communicates. It's one thing to know the depth of the Grand Canyon. It's a, another thing entirely to experience it. You see, I thought I understood mercy until I was pushed into the Grand Canyon of mercy by this family. The Apostle Paul understood, or so he thought, mercy. He studied with one of the most prestigious Jewish rabbis of his time. But he soon learned that he didn't understand mercy fully until he was pushed into the Grand Canyon of mercy by Jesus Christ, the greatest rabbi. Now, I can't push you into the Grand Canyon this morning for a long list of reasons. The top of being, I like prison ministry as a volunteer rather than from within the walls. But Paul and I are hoping that when we talk about these stories of people's experience with mercy, that it might help you come to a deeper understanding of God's mercy for you and for others. Our text today is part of what's known as the epistles or the pastoral letters because they speak to pastoral issues. They're talking about how the church is transitioning from its infancy and early days becoming institutionalized and how it's being passed on from one generation to the next as they realize the coming of Christ is not coming immediately. And so they want to pass on these words so that the, the good news is handed off with faithfulness and understanding. And so in today's passage, we find this raw, honest sharing from a mentor to a mentee about how Paul, through Christ, was transformed from an agent working against God and others to an agent working for God and others, all because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. See, Paul was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. We learn that in our text today and in other accounts in the New Testament that Paul was a part of helping to jail and persecute and even kill the early followers of the way or of Jesus Christ. He was trying to destroy that early church, believing that they were the blasphemers. Yet a blinding encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus allowed him to see for the very first time the depths of his sin and the greater depths of God's mercy. 
Paul's is one of those dramatic conversion stories. His name changes from Saul to Paul. His life purpose changes from one who's a persecutor of the way to a proclaimer of the way, all because of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had been pushed into the Grand Canyon, and he never stopped writing or speaking about how grateful he was for the shove. In fact, I imagine you could not begin to count the amount of times Paul told this story over and over in all of his journeys, in synagogues and around tables and on those long journeys by foot and on boat. I bet Timothy and his other companions could finish his story because they had heard so many times the account of God's mercy in his life. Yet Paul didn't share it over and over again to center himself. He shared it to center Jesus Christ, for that is the reason all the change happened. It was the work of Jesus in him, not Paul, that transformed him. The focus was never on Paul's sin, but rather the gap from Paul before Christ to Paul after Christ, and that only the love and grace of Jesus could cover that kind of gap. The grace of Christ is so great that even the worst of sinners, which Paul claimed to be, even the worst can be redeemed and transformed by Christ's love. And Paul believes that if you know this story is true for him, then you will know that no person is beyond redemption because of the grace and love of Jesus. No person, not one. And Paul is telling this to remind the next generation that is entrusted with this gospel to never forget to let mercy lead. And if it's true for Paul, who regarded himself the worst, then that's got to be true for you and for me. When I received forgiveness from the graduate and the family, they gifted me mercy. I did not deserve it. I hadn't earned it. And in honesty, I really struggled to receive it. But it transformed me. And it forever changed my understanding of God's mercy for me. It was the shove that I needed and that I'm forever grateful for. We hear a lot about entitlement these days. My favorite joke about entitlement is this one. I don't have a sense of entitlement, but I deserve one. Entitlement. When we speak of it, or the belief that someone is inherently deserving of privileges or, or special treatment, it's almost always in conversations, or maybe rant is a better word, about how others feel they are entitled. It's almost never about our own sense of entitlement or what we feel like we are owed. But folks, everyone struggles with entitlement. Sometimes we have trouble seeing our own. Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr writes this, there's only one way to get us out of entitlement. Once in our lives, we have to experience undeserved love at a deep gut level, where we didn't merit it, we weren't worthy of it, in fact, we were unworthy of it, and we got it anyway. That's called mercy. Only the experience of divine mercy breaks down this entire way of counting, and that's what we do we're all counters. We are. We think to ourselves, you gave this much, so you deserve this much. 
Entitlement is lethal to the soul. Everything is a gift, 100% gift. The reason any of us woke up this morning had very little to do with us and everything to do with God. All 24 hours today are a total gift. And so the only real prayer is to say thank you and to keep saying it. When our prayer is constantly thank you and we know we deserve nothing and that everything is a gift, we stop counting. And only when we stop counting and figuring out what we deserve will we move from the world of merit into the wonderful world of grace. And in the world of grace, everything is free. Paul was led from the world of merit, which he was imprisoned in, to the world of grace and freedom, all because of the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And when we hear about the changes that take place in his life and others, it reminds us that God is far more generous in mercy than we are, both to others and to ourselves. Paul is pleading for those of us who have been set free by the mercy of God to remain patient and hopeful for those that God still longs to set free. And our patience is sourced from our own daily gratitude for Christ's patience with us. On his deathbed, a German theologian and priest Martin Luther is said to have written this. We're all beggars, that is true. He's also um, has said, we're all beggars, mere beggars, showing other beggars where to find bread. One of my faith heroes, Brendan Manning, used to always say, a ragamuffin knows he or she is just a beggar at the door of God's mercy. Redeemed by the mercy of Christ for God's glory and for the good of others, Paul spent the remainder of his earthly days speaking and writing as one beggar to another, showing us where to find bread. And friends, I am only a beggar at the door of God's mercy, telling other beggars where to find bread. And that bread is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. All who seek me and whoever comes to me will not hunger. Maybe you feel a bit like I did as I sat in my car outside that house before going into the graduation party. Ashamed, scared, very undeserving. I would not have been surprised at any point for someone to have yelled out at the, at the bushes as I walked to that door, dead man walking. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought that would have been my reception. When we show up to the party that Jesus is hosting, we may feel ashamed. We may feel scared. We may feel undeserving. Many of us would rather stay in the car miserable and hungry than be honest about what we don't deserve and to receive it. But as one beggar to another, I'm telling you, it's worth it to get out of the car and go.
On Wednesday night, we kicked off our midweek with children and youth, and it was a great evening. And uh, about 20 minutes into the high school program, the room was dark. We were singing some songs, and two of our high school girls walked in that we hadn't seen in a long, long time. Man, we were so happy to see them. We ran over to them, our mom walked, gave them a big hug, huge smiles on our faces. We didn't care how long it had been. We didn't care where they'd been. We didn't care what they had done, what had transpired in the years or so since we had seen them. All we cared about was that they were there. And after the program, when we were talking, I said, I hope you never forget that reception because it pales in comparison to the reception that God will always give to you. Always. It doesn't matter what you've done, good or bad. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've gone through. It's safe to get out of the car and let Jesus welcome you to the party. Jesus runs to meet you before you ever even get to the door. And as one beggar to another, I promise you, Jesus truly is the bread of life. Nothing and no one will sustain you or satisfy you like Jesus. Because of God's mercy, this is the welcome that all of us receive. And because of God's mercy, this is the welcome that the church should offer without hesitation or condition to every person. May it be so.